Thank you, Dean. It's good to see so many faces this morning. Praise God for that. Let us just uh, take the time to pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much that uh, we're able to come and meet and have fellowship. But most of all, we're thankful that we were able to come in today and and give you honor and glory for what you did for each one of us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord. And now as we uh, share your word, Lord, we just pray that um, your word, as we always pray, does the work that you intended to do, that the words spoken are your words, and that you would truly hide me behind the cross, Lord Jesus, and, uh, and just prepare hearts, Lord. And we just love you so much and praise you in your name. Amen was um, there's so many situations that um, we as a church are dealing with today. And it um, it's, can be kind of draining as we look around and we pay attention to the condition of the world and we pay attention to even the condition of each one of our lives, and we look around and then we see this uh, H1N1, or I just like to still call it the swine flu for some reason, but it's caused some major things in our church. It's disrupted our meetings, our fellowship, our time together, our building up, because it's essential that we, as the children of God, get together and we share our troubles and our victories together, and that we read the word of God and get encouraged by those who are in leadership and give us these wonderful devotions and, and messages, because God has designed that for a purpose, and that's to build us up, to encourage us, to direct our hearts. So these times are very challenging. And, um, and I was reading a, a, a number of things in and I just want to read a verse because it's very important to understand that what we're all facing, what this world is dealing with, there's an, there's an agent, there's a, a being that is out to trip us up, to discourage us to misdirect our hearts as God, his intention is to direct our hearts to him and to build our hearts and to encourage us. There's the evil one and his desire is to distort and distract and discourage the work of God. And just listen to this verse. It's in John chapter eight, verse 44. And it says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. And let's stop right there. He was a murderer from the beginning. And I was reading about some of the saints that have gone before us. And they were some martyrs some great men and great women of God 
and it was beautiful reading about them. And there was, I read about, it was 10 persecutions. And please forgive me, I want to read some of the information that I saw in those persecutions because it's very important to understand that this is not a new situation that we're in. This person, this being, this force, the devil, has been a murderer from the beginning and he's still a murderer today. And I was reading in the first persecution was under Nero. And we heard about Nero. He was the sixth emperor of Rome. And I guess he reigned for five years and he was diabolical. And I guess at one point he set the city of Rome on fire. And the flames were just going up and he's up on some pedestal playing a harp. And his whole point was he wanted to see it just burn up. But he got a little bit of flack. I guess his conduct was being blamed and they were going to give him a little bit of a problem. So what he determined to do was to lay the whole thing on Christians. This is the first persecution. He is a murderer. And look at how he inflicted his effect on this man. It says he, he refined cruelty. Can you imagine? These are our brothers. These are our sisters. And he says that he had punished them and he would sew them up in the skins of beasts. And then have dogs and animals chase them until they expired. And then he would dress them up in shirts made of wax and light them up as flames in a garden to entertain him and his associates. The first persecution. The second persecution, it was an emperor, Domitian. And he was inclined to cruelty. He slew even his brother and then raised the second persecution against Christians. And in his rage, he put to get death some of the Roman senators, some through malice, some through confiscating their estates. And then he commanded all the lineage of David to be put to death. He commanded Christians and all the lineage, our brothers and sisters, to be put to death. And that's when St. John was under him. He actually was boiled in oil before he was banished to Patmos. And they said it was another hardship that Christians faced where their faith was tested. And if they refused the test, it was pronounced that they would die. But if they confessed, even if they confessed, they were still killed. So if they confessed or if they said, no, thanks, I'm not a Christian, either way, they were still killed. The second persecution. The third persecution was just as extreme, and we're not going to go into it because it was just deadly. And the fourth was under Marcus Aurelius. And this was A.D. 161 now. And 
He was a man who, he hated Christians. And if you were a Christian, you were delivered up to wild beasts. And they say that's when the symbol of the fish was kind of, came into being. And the fifth persecution was A.D. 192. And they talked about a woman called Cecilia. She was a young lady of a good family. And she was married to a gentleman. And she converted her husband and her brother. And they were both beheaded. And the lady was placed in a scalding bath. And having continued, continued there for a considerable time, her head was cut off with a sword. And then you look at the sixth persecution, and it talked about this Martina who was a beautiful virgin, and it was tied to a wild horse and dragged until expired. Seventh persecution, and I like this. This was a young lady. Her name was Denisa. She was a young woman of 16 years old who had a judgment of death because she was a Christian. But she exclaimed, oh, unhappy wretch, why would you buy a moment's ease at the expense of a miserable eternity? She was bold in proclaiming, why would you do this when you're going to hell? And after they heard that, and she continued to vow as a Christian, she was beheaded. He was a murderer, and he still is a murderer. And we go to the seventh persecution, and this is A.D. 249, and it talks about a beautiful lady, and this is the, this is the spirit of Christianity. I'm not trying to, 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 to share these words to make anybody feel like bad. I want us to feel proud of our heritage, of those that came before us, and their willingness to do whatever it took to stand firm in the faith, and they would not renounce Christianity even at the threat of murder. I want to encourage us today to see that. And it says that this woman says, I'm a Christian. But I guess there was a, a, somebody who cared for her. I don't know if they knew each other, but this man disguised himself as a Roman soldier, and he went to her house and informed her to take his clothes. So she left. He took her place. When she found out he took her place, she went to the judge and, and said, please, this is my penalty. Don't kill him. And he killed both of them. Eighth persecution, 257. Two beautiful ladies. And I guess they had some gentlemen who were trying to court them. And they came to a a, con a conclusion they wanted to be Christians as well. But when the persecution began, they said, no thanks. They turned the women in. And it says that these women still kept their faith. And they paid a brutal price for it. They were all killed. Now, this is a remarkable one for the ninth persecution. It says there was a legion of soldiers consisting of 6,666 men, but they were all Christians. And they were told to attack and devastate a Christian community. And they said no. So the emperor 
said, one out of ten of you will die. So we went down the row and killed every tenth one. The remaining one said, no thanks. We still will not confess that we're not Christians. And he killed another one, another group. And they still didn't confess that they weren't Christians. And he killed all of them. And then the last persecution was AD 303. And they said under, under Roman emperors, commonly called the heir of martyrs, was occasioned partly by the increasing number and luxury of, of the Christians. And it says that they were killed. And they enjoyed it, killing Christians. It says it made no difference what age or sex they were. They killed them. The persecution became general in all the Roman provinces, but more particularly in the East, as it lasted 10 years, it is impossible to ascertain the number of martyrs or enumerate the various modes of martyrdom. A murderer. Satan was behind those persecutions. Now if we, if we look at that verse, 844, John 844, I mentioned he was a murderer from the beginning, but I didn't read the second half of it. It says, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. So we were talking about him as a murderer. But I want us to really take it in this morning that the, the next persecution, and I don't know how many more persecutions there's going to be. I don't know how he's going to show himself in the future. But I know right now the way he's showing himself, he's showing himself as a liar. Because I don't walk to my house with the threat of somebody saying to me, die or, rent, or count your faith. No, or count your faith. No, I don't have that. What do I have? What do we have? We have suffering, don't we? We have questions, don't we? When we look around, what do you see? What do we see right now? When we look around the world, and we see the things that are happening to this church, to our families, to the world. What do you see? What do I see? These great men and women, you know they rested on God's truth. You know they thought maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. And it's, you think about, what did he do? What did they rest on? What did they cling to? The words of God. God encouraged them. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, 
for thou art with me, thy rod and staff will comfort me. I can see some of our brothers and sisters maybe sitting there being burned and scalded, resting on that verse and saying, you will never depart me, Lord Jesus, even though I might have to die. But he's being tricky today. He's lying today. With what purpose? To discourage us, Christians. He's not using the threat of death, not here in America, not here in this community, but he is using discouragement. Now let's go to 1 Peter. I want you to think about 1 Peter, because we're going to talk about Peter. And I think Peter has earned the right to be able to give us some encouragement. Peter is an interesting guy, and a lot of people have had a lot of issues with Peter, because Peter, we know, has disowned Jesus. We know what happened with Peter. We know how he went, and he ran away like all the other apostles. We know how a girl came up to him, a little servant girl, and what did Peter say? I never knew him. I don't know him. And he did it three times. And we know that he looked up and Jesus looked at him and already predicted what would happen. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And we know Peter denied him three times. And the Lord looked at him and Peter wept bitterly because he saw himself. And then we know about the restoration of Peter. He restored Peter. And now Peter is a different kind of man. So when I was reading about Peter, I was very, very encouraged because he said, I, can't, I have a view of this. I can see what's going on. I understand what's happening. People were discouraged. I know what discouragement is. I've been there. I've been deceived. I've been confused. I've been off. I've been wrong. I put down the Savior, but he still loved me, and he restored me. And we know about Peter, how he gave the first preach, and 3,000 people came to a knowledge of Christ. So that's the man who's writing this. First Peter is unbelievable to encourage us today. And he starts off, first of all, he starts off making it clear because there needs to be a distinction. If we're going to really understand what's going on with us as Christians here today, we need to know who we are. And he makes it clear from the first verse. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Another version says aliens. Another version says foreigners. Another version says pilgrims. Another version, the Phillips version, says exiles. First of all, we have to know who we are. And he says, I want to make sure you get it, who you are. Who are you? You're an alien. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. This is not your home. And he lays down the framework, and he really gets involved, and it's a beautiful thing to see him. And then in, in chapter 2, he even goes further. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain yourself from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. 
keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles, so that the thing to which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Satan, right now, is trying to deceive us with lies because he's the father of lies. He doesn't want us to be encouraged right now. And Christians, I want you to look around and look at your circumstances and look at the circumstances of this world and look at the circumstances of this church and understand that our God is still on the throne. And there is nothing that can stop the work that he's doing on earth, period. And he goes into it so wonderfully. If we go to verses, verse 3, 1 Peter, and I'm going to read it from the Phillips version. It says, thank God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy, we men have been born again into a life full of hope. And they don't mention today the hope. Look at what we have. He said, I want you to get it. Thank God, first of all, that in his mercy, his mercy, that we've been born again through the raising of Christ, and you can now hope for a perfect inheritance beyond the reach of change and decay reserved in heaven for you. We need to read that over and over because that is the lie that Satan doesn't want. Satan wants us not to believe that and wants us to see that as a lie. Christ says, I want you to get it, that you have a hope. And this hope is beyond the reach of change and decay and reserved in heaven for you. There's nobody that can stop us. There's nobody that can topple that salvation. There's nobody that can take away that hope except listening to Satan's lies and being discouraged and believe of a lie and not the truth. This was the truth. And then he goes on to say, till you, you enter fully into salvation, which is already the climax of the last day. And then he says in verse 6, he says, this, this means tremendous joy to you. And I know, even though you are temporarily harassed by all kind of trials and temptations, this is no accident. It happens to prove your faith. We're going through a period of proving our faith. How faithful are you? How faithful am I? Lord's turning up the fire, but are we faithful? Are we faithful? Are we going to choose to say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to honor you and live a life truly that glorifies you, and I'm going to rejoice in spite of my problems, in spite of what I see? in spite of the situation that I'm in. I was reading a story about how Satan opposes Christians and they were talking about a fighter who had gone, gone five rounds, I guess, and he was bloody and bruised and he fell into the ropes near his corner and his manager was, gave him, I guess it's the, the, the referee gave him an eight count 
And then he turned to his manager and says, please throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm tired of getting beat. Throw in the towel. And then the manager says something strange. He says, that guy hasn't even laid a glove on you. To which the fighter says, well, you need to start watching the referee because somebody's beating the daylights out of me. He says, somebody's beating the daylights out of me. Can you see? And we Christians either open our eyes to see what's causing this damage. Because Satan is really, really playing a mind trip on us today. He's really, really effective too. He's saying, you don't have it together. Your life is in the pits. There's no hope. You're struggling with finances. You're struggling with issues that have to do with marriage. You're struggling with issues that have to do with work. You're struggling with issues that have to do with all these things. And Satan is saying, give up, throw in the towel, blame your leaders, all is hopeless, woe is me, I'm tired. And I can tell you, somebody's beating the living daylights out of you, and it's not God. It's Satan. And how is he doing it? Lies. So what do we need to do today? What do we need to do? Well, let's just go and fast forward to the end of 1 Peter. Go to chapter 5. And I'm blessed by chapter 5. It says, to the elders among you. First of all, it's talking to the elders, talking to the leaders. Peter is like already laid it all out there. He says, I've given it all out there. He told, he told us exactly what's happening. He's encouraged it. He says, keep your eyes on Christ. Understand these difficulties will come, but Christ is still on the throne. He says, don't worry. Don't be discouraged. Live the rest of your lives and honor God. And the verse before chapter 5 begins, verse 19 of four, chapter 4 says, Though so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He says, commit yourself to me and stop looking around at circumstances. And he was, he's, he's been telling us for years, hasn't he? The same thing. Put your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me and not on your circumstances. Because when we look at our circumstances, Satan then throws in the lie. Your circumstances aren't fair. You shouldn't be going through this situation. Why you and not her? Why you and not him? Why this guy that you work with and he's a guy that lives in the world, why is he having a better life? Why does he seem to be happy? Why is this all happening? And Satan is behind the scenes just whacking us, just beating us with the lie. And God is still on the throne. And he says, commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Do God's will and stop looking at your circumstances. But chapter 5 is beautiful. It talks about the elders. It says, the elders, I appeal to you, fellow elders, 
because he was an elder as well. He says, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He says, you elders, shepherd the flock. They need you. It's important. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Aren't we blessed to have shepherds who are not greedy for money, not doing it because they have to, but doing it because they're eager to serve God? We need to get that truly. We are so blessed because they don't have to be eager to serve God. They don't have to be willing to serve. They could be here for the convenience of monetary gain. But not. And then they go on to say, Peter says, but being examples to the flock. And I want to encourage you leaders, you shepherds. Hey, are you listening? Or are you are you listening? <laughs> Sylvia, are you back there? Because I don't know if you're listening either. I mean, honestly. We need you. Mike, Bill, do you get it? You get the importance of your life. He says it right here, examples to the flock. He says it's urgent that you're examples, that you're a righteous example, that you're an upright example, that you're a godly example, because the flock needs you so bad. Peter says it. You don't need to live like the people in the world and look for honor and look for glory. No, I need you to be lowly men and women who are committed to serving the flock and giving up your life, and you are. And praise God for you. And God bless you. And when the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, appears, you will receive, do you hear me? You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So I know I don't really have the right to try to encourage you, but I want to encourage you. Shepherds, I want to encourage you that one day the Lord Jesus is going to plant a crown of glory. And it's nothing compared to anything we could do for you. That crown of glory will never fade away. Keep shepherding the flock. Keep living lives that glorify Christ. Keep honoring the Lord and being faithful. The crown's coming. And then he says, young men, young women, be submissive to those who are older, who are in leadership. Are we being submissive to our leaders? Have we humbled ourselves and says, I'm going to submit to authority? Peter says it. He said, this is the culmination of this message. I'm at the end now. 
I've already laid down the framework of what it is to be a Christian and why you need to keep your eyes on Christ and how the hope that, I, that Christ has for you will never fade away and you have nothing to look in the world at except to understand that our Lord, our God, is faithful and he's going to come through in the end and he's going to take you to be with him and that is reserved in heaven for each one of us. He says, you can rest on that. And he says, but furthermore, I have some work for you to do and that is... I want you to honor those in leadership. I want you to obey those who are in leadership. And clothe yourself with humility towards each other. Be humble, not proud, because God is opposed to the proud. And then verse 7. says it all. What anxiety do, I do, anxiety do you have this morning? He says, cast it all on him because he cares for you. And Satan doesn't want us to believe that. Satan doesn't want us to see that. Satan doesn't want us to understand that. But that's God's command. He says, give me your anxiety. Be self-controlled and alert. And he's reminding us, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. What does this mean for all of us? The father of lies, the murderer, he's still working. He's working behind the scenes to discourage. And I like the verse in Hebrews, it says, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And it even actually goes on and talks about not forsaking meeting together, which we haven't. You don't forsake meeting together. We just had a, a major catastrophe, and we haven't met together. But understand something that's very important, that Satan wants us to believe the lie. And there's plenty of lies, and I can't name them all. You know. If you're discouraged this morning, you're listening to a lie. That's, I can say that definitively. If you are discouraged this morning, and you have anxiety this morning, you're listening to a lie. You're believing a lie. Because the truth is, he says, rejoice always. and everything, give thanks. But this is my will for you. This is my will. He says, there is no anxiety that I can't handle. Cast all your cares, your concerns on me because I care for you. That's the truth. So as Christians, we don't have the right to have anxiety. Now, we'll have them fleeting moments happen, but he says, cast your anxiety on me. Stay connected. I was thinking, you know, one of the things that you know, I 
heard about and Toyota had this recall on floor mats and they sent out I guess there was a big public uh, press release about it and I talked to our service manager and asked him what's happening he says Ron it's uh, you know, it has to do with clips holding in the floor mats. And he says, Toyota didn't intend for it to be a, um, a recall, but in an advisory. He wanted it to be, basically, they wanted to advise people that they needed to make a modification in what they were doing. And you know, some people really want to do that with Christians. They want to recall us, and Satan wants us to think that we can be recalled, that your testimony has no value, your life has no value, you're useless, you've blown it, you're not doing anything for me, I don't need you, I don't want you, because you're, you failed me. Look at your life. Recall them. You know what a recall is? It's a replacement. No longer needed. You junk think something, and you get something else. He wants us to think that um, God wants to junk our lives. Doesn't need us anymore, some of us. But that's a lie. He just wants to give us an advisory. He wants us to advise us something. He wants to tell us something, that we just need a modification. We just need to put the clips in place. We just need to put the anchors in place. We just need to understand that on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He wants us to understand it's not that we need to be recalled, we need to be modified. And the way we modify is we get into the word of God and we rest on his promises and we trust our God and we give up our lives 100% and say, no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And we have no right to walk around like this. Look at the promise God has given us, the guarantee of heaven and the salvation that's right around the corner. The father of lies, let's not give him inroads into our hearts and our lives. Let's give the Father of truth his right position. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that we can rest in your truth, Lord, and we can honor you with our obedience. And that right now, Lord, I just pray that you would just help each one of us not to accept any of the lies of Satan because his goal is to murder, to murder our testimony to defeat us, to make us useless in this world that needs us, needs us to show the love of Christ and the power of Christ and the appeal of Christ and the glory of Christ and the hope of Christ. So help us, Lord Jesus, help each one of us not to believe the lie, but to believe the truth and to cast all our anxiety on you for you care for us and to rejoice always because that's your will and to trust you with the life that you've given us and to know that you haven't made a mistake. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever situations we're in, help us to thank you and to ask your help as we walk through this life. We just love you, Lord Jesus, and praise your name. Amen.